Let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to Revelation chapter number 9 this evening. Revelation chapter number 9. Well, we've been studying the end times, and uh, we are in chapter number 9 this evening. And uh, we've been looking at it, trying to look at the a study of the end times in a chronological order. And um, we did not deal with anything, and I just labeled to the far left there, eternity past. There's a lot be to the left of the cross there. There's the Old Testament period. There's, uh, there's the time uh, before the law. There's, uh, there's Adam and Eve at creation. There's a lot of things there that we just didn't have space on our timeline. But we've been covering it from the cross forward, and we talked about the church age a great deal. And then we got into the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, that has led us up here to this tribulation period. And um, this evening, I've gone back to making my own charts again, as you can tell. Uh, the quality has gone down greatly, uh, but I threw this one together uh, just to show us that this, this tribulation period, it's a seven-year period, and um, it, it is, it's bookended by the events of the rapture and the return. Uh, the rapture of the church by Christ, and then the return of Christ with the church at the end of, uh, at the beginning and the end of this tribulation period, this seven-year period. And uh, I put that little line there in the middle to designate that the tribulation is often divided into two parts: the first half and the second half, uh, the first three and a half period and the second three and a half period, because there does seem to be a significance or an escalation of. Uh, of wrath and judgment in that second uh, period of time. And we are getting very close if we're not crossing over that threshold this evening in Revelation chapter number 9 of getting to hitting that midway point in the tribulation period. We have looked at these tribulation judgments. We've seen the seal judgments, which led us to the trumpet judgments, which we will talk about again this evening, trumpets 5 and 6. And then that'll lead us to the vile judgments uh, found here in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter number 9 tonight. Let's read all 21 verses. You follow along as I read these verses and we'll go back and get us caught up a little bit and then uh, jump into the night's study on the 5th and 6th trumpet found here in Revelation chapter number 9. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, and the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them were given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and the death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had the hair, they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. 
And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there cometh two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpets, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand. And I heard the number of them. And thus, thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouth issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents, and, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold, and silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So as you can see, as we continue into this study of chapter number 9, things are still very chaotic here in these, in these times here in the tribulation period. I remind you that in chapter number 8, we closed at verse number 13 with the three woes introduced to us. That trumpets four, excuse me, five, six, and seven would, would be of these three woes. And we often have heard about the best is yet to come and what John is saying here, what he's hearing here is the worst was yet to come. Uh, things were only going to get worse for them. Now in chapter number 8, we saw the first four trumpet judgments. And as I've mentioned, they were very nature-centric. Uh, there were judgments upon natural things. Very similar to maybe what we would consider with Moses and the, and the plagues over Egypt in many ways. But there was judgment upon the earth or upon the, the vegetation of the earth in chapter 8 verse 7. There was judgment upon the seas, the salt water bodies in chapter 8 verse 8 and 9. Uh, there was judgment upon the rivers or the fresh bodies of water, chapter 8 verse 10 and 11. And then there was judgments that focused through the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and stars in chapter 8, verse number 12. As we get into chapter number 9, there's a shift now. The judgments seem to be very demonic-centric. And we see that, and that's what I want to point out to us tonight, the, uh, what to me appears to be a very demonic influence or demonic presence in judgment number 5, and judgment number six of these trumpet judgments. Uh, let's first of all consider in verse number one, it speaks of a star. 
Uh, notice again in verse number one, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Well, already we've seen in previous chapters, and we'll see in future chapters in the book of Revelation, that there are things falling from the sky constantly. There are luminaries being affected. There are uh, stars that have fallen and will fall. But in this instance, if you look at the context of this verse, and by the way, when you're studying the Bible, the most important aspect of your study is context. And when you study this out and you just look at the context, it's pretty simple to see he's not talking about a, a luminary. He's not talking about a, a, a figment in the, in the sky there. He says, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. This is a personal being that is falling from the sky. Uh, he uses the word him. He's given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, there are multiple verses in the Bible where angelic beings are referred to as stars. In fact, just turn to your right a page or two to chapter number 12 of Revelation. Look at verse number 3. It says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That third part of the stars there is referring to the angelic beings that were pulled away by Satan and by Satan's desire out of Isaiah chapter number 14 to ascend above the stars of God. Uh, you can look at those verses in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 through 14. Again, referring to angels as stars. In Job chapter 38 verse 7, we won't look there this evening, but Job mentions the stars that sing unto the Lord there and referring to these angelic beings. And so it is a, a, a uh, common practice that angels are often referred to as stars. And I personally believe that this star falling from heaven here is an angel that's given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, there are various views, I think I even shared with you here a few weeks ago, that some believe that star might be Jesus Christ, when that would be my least favorite application there. I don't think that, I, I very, it, it's hard for me to take dogmatic stands on, on a lot of verses in, in Revelation because there's a lot of speculations and thoughts, but that's pretty dogmatic on my part. That's not Jesus falling from the heavens there. Uh, but uh, I, I lean towards this being Satan himself falling from the heavens here, and he's given this key to the bottomless pit. So we see this, this demonic instance here of this demonic star possibly satan himself and then he mentions here the bottomless pit at the end of verse number one the key of the bottomless pit and again in verse number two he opened the bottomless pit and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and this description of these creatures released from the bottomless pit now, what do we know about this bottomless pit? We'll see it mentioned again multiple times in the book of Revelation. Chapter 9, verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 17. 
chapter 17, verse number 8. And two of my favorite verses in all of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and verse 3. You know why that's some of my favorite verses? That's where Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He has a great chain placed upon him. And, and, and it says that he is shut up in the bottomless pit. And that is a wonderful thing where he will be for a thousand years during that millennial reign. The word bottomless that we see here in, in all of these instances in the book of Revelation comes from a Greek word, uh, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S would be the phonetic spelling of that word that we would have. And it's a word that means deep, depthless, the abyss. And um, if you will, take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 8 this evening. And I think you'll see a familiar passage in Luke 8. And it'll help us make some understanding of this bottomless pit and its significance with these demonic uh, influences that we see here in Trumpets 5 and 6. Luke chapter 8, let's start reading in verse number 26. It says, And they arrived in the country of the Gadarenes. This is Jesus and his disciples, which is over against Galilee. And when he, Jesus, went forth to the land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils, long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, the Most High? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him. And he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him, they besought Jesus, speaking about these devils or these demons, they besought Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the, and that last word there is called the the deep. Now guess what Greek word that is? It's that word abusos, that in Revelation is translated bottomless, that means Deep, that means depthless, that means the abyss. And here are these demonic individuals, these demons that have possessed this man, we call him the maniac of Gardera, they possessed him, and Jesus delivers him from this. And then these demons, they begin to plead with Jesus, don't send us to the deep. Don't send us to this place. And if you look at this and you study this out, it appears that there are uh, some demons that are kept in the bottomless pit, that are kept in the deep, that have a, a, a resume that has caused them to be bound and held in this bottomless pit. And these particular demons don't want to go there. They beg Jesus, don't send us to the deep. We might think of demons in just one category, 
but apparently there are demons that have a uh, that are harder, are uh, uh, um, uh, greater, more evil, more wicked than other demons. And and these particular don't send us there. Don't bind us to this place. And that is the place that is being spoken of here in Revelation chapter number nine. We see the description of these wild creatures coming out of the ground. Now, if you study this and you read commentaries or books on chapter Revelation chapter 9, some will say that the description here in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and down through here is John's attempt to, to describe modern day military uh, things, maybe helicopters. And that's their, their thought, that John just can't, so he's describing them like a, like, a, a, like a locust, but they shoot or they sting like a scorpion and all those things. And, and, and I guess you can see that, but I really look at this church and I really see this, this is demonic creatures being loose upon the earth. They're coming and they're given a task, a task of tormenting mankind for five months. Five months. Now, locusts, we understand a, a locust comes on, on there. What is, what is the task of a locust right now? They devour vegetation. In certain regions of the world, uh, they can be uh, completely devastating to a culture, to a, to a place, to, a, to an economy, completely wipe out an area in their vegetation. But these individuals were sent, and they were sent to torment mankind for five months. The torment is so much that man wants to die. Oh, I can't take it anymore. And the, the, the hurt from these things. And they want to die, but they're not able to die. So once again, showing a very demonic influence. We got the star. We have the bottomless pit. And then we have their king. Uh, he's called the king over them in verse number 11. Is given two names. The Hebrew name of Abaddon. And the Greek name of Apollyon. Both of those names are translated or mean destroyer. And, and this, this king of the bottomless pit, this ruler of the bottomless pit was a great destroyer. And again, I believe to be a, a demonic uh, influence there in trumpet number five. Which leads to the sixth angel sounding his sixth trumpet. And you'll notice here in verses 13 through 19, again, some angelic beings are described for us. Uh, verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And again, if we just look at the context of this, these, these angels here, uh, we don't know a lot about them but they seem to be of Satan's realm or Satan's team. Um, uh, the speculation is that they're, they're, again, some type of demonic presence that's been bound or imprisoned at the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River um, was one of the rivers of the Garden of Eden. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter number 2, and you looked in verse number 14. It was one of the rivers that flowed through the Garden of Eden. It's in modern-day Iraq, and it happens to be the place where ancient Babylon began. And ancient Babylon was the center of rebellion 
against God in all formats, including religion. We've been studying there uh, the kings of Israel and Judah on Sunday evenings, and how many of them were drawn, especially of the nation of Israel, into Baal worship. And this was always a contrast or a contrary view, uh, an opposite view of God. And so it's rebellion in all formats, including religion. That's ancient Babylon, and that was destroyed back in by God back in the Old Testament. You see about that in Isaiah chapter 13, Jeremiah chapter 50 through 52, and in Daniel chapter 5. But there's also a future Babylon that we'll see here in the book of Revelation. In fact, it'll become a primary uh, um, character, so to speak, in the book of Revelation in the chapters to follow. But even that Babylon will be destroyed one day, according to Revelation chapter number 18. And so this Euphrates River, the, the birthplace of Babylon, this birthplace of rebellion and rejection of God, and these four angels are loosed from here. Verse 15 has this interesting phrase. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year. Uh, the, the idea of this is this, that these angels have been held in this prison, held captive for that very moment. For this, for this one moment, they've been held here and, and, and held on to this. And it's like caged dogs waiting to get out, looking to get out. And they've seen this, they've heard about it, and they're looking to get out there. And finally, they're released. And look what happens at the end of verse number 15. For to slay the third part of men. Now, back in chapter number 6, uh, through the, 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 the judgments there, those sealed judgments, you recall a quarter of the men were killed in chapter 6, verse number 8. And now we have a third of the men remaining or individuals remaining on earth are killed. Now right now, the world is pushing a population close to 8 million people in our world today. Uh, 8 billion, did I say million? Yeah, a little bit more than a million. Eight billion people in the world uh, today, getting close. And I don't, this is probably not a good number, but if at the rapture, it, when Jesus Christ comes back, again, aren't you glad it's before the things we're discussing this evening? Before the tribulation? At the rapture, the church is called out of here. We're raptured out of here. And let's just say, and I don't know, this, this may be a ridiculous number, but let's just say a billion People worldwide are raptured out of here. That leaves 7 billion. And, and, and you start looking at these numbers and you start doing math. And just this period of time from Revelation 6 to chapter number 9, where a quarter and a third of the people are killed, we're talking about 3.5 billion people gone, put to death through these various judgments and plagues that of, as we saw back in chapter number 6 of the wrath of the Lamb coming upon mankind here. These four angels have an army. And again, 
there are various thoughts on this army. And in this instance, I, I believe this army in verse 16 of 200,000, uh, 200, which is 200 million soldiers, I happen to believe, as we learned through this, that that's an actual army under the demonic control of these these angels. Some believe that this is more de- demons. I believe this to, to be an actual army of, uh, of men or individuals that have reared up in this battle. And again, to think about 200 million, uh, uh, the, all the armies of, uh, of every country during World War II, during, that ba- during the, the, the war of World War II, all of the countries involved total about 70 million. You think of that, about 70 million all involved. And here's an army of 200 million. It's an amazing thought here. I shared with you here a few weeks ago that if you line them up shoulder to shoulder in formation, if they were a mile wide, they'd be over 80 miles long. That's from here to almost Richmond. Of, of an army that will rise up here. And these ones, in the previous trumpet, trumpet number five, they brought torment, and this one they'll bring death. A third of the people, 33% of the people, will die during this time. Some have speculated, who is this, who is this 200 million ar- uh, soldier army? Some have said it's the Asian nations coming from the east, China, North Korea, Japan, all these nations uh, rallying together. But probably a safer speculation would be that it's the armies of the north. The armies of the north that are predicted in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that have long been prophesied that will descend down upon the nation of Israel. Here several weeks ago when this war in Ukraine started, we talked about the battle of Gog and Magog. If you recall that evening and we talked and looked through that and how Gog and Magog are, 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 are uh, involved in that region geographically of Russia and Ukraine. And although I don't believe necessarily that, I don't believe this, that that battle going on is the battle of Gog and Magog, I do believe, much like a chess game where there are moves made here to prepare for future moves over here, this could be a very uh, a strategic chess move by the Lord and his end-time plans of bringing things together. And I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know all the things that are taking place there in Russia and Ukraine, but this could be a time of God moving things together for an eventual evasion that we see here in Revelation chapter number 9. When this armies of the north, this huge massive army comes down. Now whether these current events have any role in the future events or not, without a doubt, the Bible predicts an invasion from the north sometime near, as I mentioned here a moment ago. See if I can get there again near the middle of this tribulation period. Uh, in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist, who has come on the scene and has, to some degree, brought some peace and some, maybe even some prosperity and some good things to the nation of Israel, will renege on his agreement with Israel. He'll turn on them. And this is where you'll hear terms such as the abomination of desolation. 
You may have heard that if you read through the book of Daniel or in the gospel of Matthew. When the Antichrist will introduce himself as God and demand worship of himself, he'll desecrate the temple with idolatry and wicked sacrifices. These events are described the Battle of Gog and Magog, you can read about it in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I encourage you to read through there. Read through there with the mindset of what you're hearing here this evening and thinking on. You'll see little key words here and there as you read through there. Daniel 11 and 12, Joel chapter 2. Turn to Matthew 24 this evening. We'll close there in Matthew chapter 24. As we talked here several weeks ago about the individuals being saved in the tribulation period, many of them Jews, and not, not uh, they, they received the seal of God upon them and not the, the mark of the beast and all those things that we looked at. Imagine them, if you will, finding the Bible finding a copy of God's Word and, and turning to Matthew and reading Matthew chapter 24 in that day of the tribulation. This is the setting of what Jesus is speaking about here. And um, uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, let's pick up. Oh, we'll, just so I make sure I get everything, let's pick up in verse number 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. That's a, that's a term there, that's an end times term there, beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and, and shall kill you. Speaking to Jews here. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Speaking of Jews here. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And, many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that, endure, that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, when ye, when ye Jews, therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. That abomination of desolation, that's speaking of the treaty being broken between the Antichrist and the Jews. When you see that happen, what does he say in verse 16? Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Why? Well, there's an army coming from the north. There's an army of 200 million coming down. Let him which is on the housetop not come down, take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child, unto them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath. And he just goes on and on, because you've got to get out of Jerusalem. You've got to get out of here because of this great battle that's coming on. And that's where we're finding ourselves now in Revelation chapter number 9, getting close to that time period described here in Ezekiel 
and uh, 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 Joel, uh, Daniel, here in Matthew chapter number 24. And we're getting into that time period. Now back to Revelation chapter 9. I lied to you. There's one other passage I want to show you. Revelation chapter number 9. This is my real closing. I said it in closing a moment ago. That was the fake one. This is the real one. Look at Revelation 9, verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues, yet repented not. Uh, Look at verse number 21. Neither repented they of their murders. I've mentioned a trend in the book of Revelation. I've already talked about this and I've concluded it's not just a trend in the book of Revelation, it's a trend in every age. Let me go, again, look at, look at all the ages there. Go back before the cross. Go back into the Old Testament. Go back into the time of the kings, uh, bondage. Uh, go back into the before the kings, judges. Uh, go back into the time before that and the law. Go back before that with Abraham. Go back before that with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. And go forward everywhere you go. Here's what you see. No matter how good God is, or no matter how much God sends judgment, man still rejects God. Don't get it. From the Garden of Eden in a perfect environment, man rejected God. To the millennium, heaven on earth for a thousand years, a good king, a great king, a perfect king. And at the end of the millennium, Satan raises up an army as the sand of the sea of people that reject God. No matter how good he is, no matter how hard he is, man repenteth not. Now I understand tonight there are some that repent. You get what I'm saying. Please understand me, not everybody. But isn't it amazing these things that we just read about in Revelation chapter 9? Wouldn't you think everybody come crawling back to God? I'm sorry, forgive me, save me but yet they continue in their sin. And then we'll read and, 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 and we'll study a little bit about the millennium and how good it will be. And man will still reject God. It shows man in our hopeless and our helpless condition and that we need a Savior. And if you're here this evening, you're in a time, you're in an age, you're in a time of, of God's divine timetable, where salvation is offered openly and freely to every man. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, he wants you to be one of His. And by the way, if you got saved tonight, you received Christ as your Savior, you would never have to experience any of the things I just talked about this evening. You'd be raptured out of here. And if you have any ounce of thinking, wow, if those things are true, it ought to make you say, I better make sure everything's right between me and God. That's what a sensible person would do. But to what a lot of people, if I were to preach this out just anywhere in a place, what would most people do? If I was out on a street corner street preaching, they'd laugh at me, wouldn't they? Look at that crazy guy talking about all those crazy things. They would reject it. The same people that reject God's goodness and God's harshness. Makes me grateful 
that I've at least done one right thing in my life. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself, and I don't have to save myself. Jesus did all that for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you'll call on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, believing in him, he's promised he'll save you and make you one of his own. And you get all the benefits, all the blessings of being a child of God. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of our message with the song this evening, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I belong to Jesus. I belong to God through Jesus. I've shared that illustration with you before. I believe it was President Kennedy. When he was president, um, his kids used to play in the Oval Office sometimes and be around, and one of his his uh, staff members or uh, cabinet members was in there one day and, and was walking and, and tripped over one of Junior's little trucks. And he's like, oh, John, why do you let those kids in here? And the president looked at him and says, because they're my kids. I let them in here. You know why I can go into God's throne room? Because I'm his kid. I belong to him. What great honor, what great privilege we have to be a child of God. And so if you're here this evening, you don't know Christ, oh, would you receive him tonight? So that you don't have to be a part of what we described here this evening. These judgments, this chaos of the end times. And if you are saved tonight, leave here praising God. You don't have to be a part of that chaos of those last of the last days. Let's stand this evening. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. As always, if you have a need in your heart, please talk to us. We'd love to share with you. Appreciate you being here this evening. Father, we love you. Give us safety on our way home tonight. Thank you for each one that's come out this evening. Help us to be bright and shining lights for you. I pray, God, that if, uh, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, they'd seek us out tonight. Search, search me out, somebody else, and say, I, I want to learn more about that. And receive Christ tonight. Lord, uh, I pray that again for your hand of protection on us this evening. Be with our friends uh, from Tabernacle, Lord, as they travel back tomorrow. Give them safety, protection on the roads. And we'll thank you for all that you do now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good evening.